Good morning. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Home Visiting Conversations, which was developed by the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability Home Visiting Consultation Team, with the support of the New Mexico Early Childhood Education and Care Department. I am your host, Julia Bergkamp, a University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability Home Visiting Consultant. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Beth Ensign, home visitor with Taos First Steps. Good morning, Beth. How are you today? Doing good. Hi, Julia. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for being with me today to support home visitors as they work with families in and around, yeah, in and around northern New Mexico. Um, Beth, can you tell me just a little bit about yourself? Let's see. I've been a home visitor for about 10 years. Um, I was a home visitor groupie before that. I used to work at the Northern New Mexico Birth Center. And so uh, we would hold our breastfeeding meetings at the birth center. And I really loved Jackie. And I learned a lot about home visiting from seeing her talk at meetings. And then one day I said, Jackie, if there's ever a job, <laughs> would you consider hiring me? And Lo and behold, it happened. Wow. Well, we are so lucky to have you, Beth, that you chose home visiting. Um, and so during our time together, we would love um, home visitors in New Mexico and parents of young children to better understand the impact that weaning can have on one's mental health. Um, let's start with you telling us about your role in supporting one's um, chest feeding, breastfeeding journey. Um, so if you don't mind, the first sort of question to explore together is, you know, if you don't mind just telling us um, a little bit about your role in supporting um, the breastfeeding, chest feeding journey. Well, it's kind of like the role of the home visitor across the board. So we support the client's strengths, their effectiveness, and their sense of themselves as they find their way through the breastfeeding relationship. So we don't um, I mean, we provide information and we provide instruction and things like latch and you know, the important things you have to make sure to keep your milk supply up. But we really support the client to figure out what it is that's working and not working and figure out the steps towards making things work better. Mm -hmm. And so we're just there to listen and provide emotional support and normalize when things go off the rails and, you know, just be there and be a friend along the way. Yeah, well, that's so important. And we know that um, it is, it can be a very choppy journey for so many. It almost always starts out choppy. And so um, we like to inquire about their knowledge and experiences with breastfeeding, like if they had any positive or negative breastfeeding experiences or, you know, seeing people breastfeed. We just try to like fill in the picture so we really know what it is they're dealing with. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we don't pressure people to breastfeed. If they want to breastfeed, we'll, we'll make sure that's true. And then we'll move forward from there. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for setting the stage. Um, what do you notice? Like, what have you noticed in your practice over the years and in home visiting? What are some of the most common challenges um, that one faces oh. in their breastfeeding chest there's, journey? There's a lot. I'll just list them. So the client's identity, do they feel solid and supported as a breastfeeder? Like, is this something that they feel confident taking on? Do they have the practical and emotional support they need from family and friends? 
or are they feeling really squirrely about it and not feeling certain at all that this is something they can do? Um, so that's a really important piece. Um, pain on the first tries is really, really common. I would, I would say almost universal. It's very rare to have somebody just slide right into it and it doesn't hurt at all. And you know, that does happen, but it doesn't usually happen. There's usually a learning curve because the baby and the mama need to learn from each other what works, what doesn't work. It's a dance. It takes a while. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's difference between pain and discomfort. So really, I really love what Jana says, our breastfeeding consultant here in Taos. She says, no pain is normal. Like, take action right away. Mm -hmm. But it can be an unfamiliar and slightly uncomfortable sensation. Even the letdown can feel a little intense. So there's a difference between discomfort and pain. But we really want to take action right away if there's any pain. Um, getting a correct latch is the main reason why there's pain. If you don't have a good latch, you're going to get some pain. So we work a lot on latch. Um, people have a really hard time with the nighttime nursing and the cluster feeding. And so it's doing a lot of just being the hands on their circle while they vent about the unfairness of the universe, which is unfair. <laughs> That's totally true. Um, and letting people know that this doesn't last forever, that things even out. The first few months are very intense. And then you get your feet on the ground, the baby gets her feet on the figurative ground, and then things are a lot smoother. Um, pumping is a big challenge. Um, lactation consultants recommend waiting four to six week, weeks, if at all possible, before you start pumping so that the, the nursing relationship and the milk supplier in good balance. Mm -hmm. So um, that can be challenging because a lot of people have to return to work before that and they need to pump. Yeah. And pumping is a big issue in returning to work. It is like, I would say of everything on this list, pumping and returning to work are perhaps the biggest obstacles and the times when the most breastfeeding parents peel off because they just can't hack the kind of opposition they're getting, the lack of resources, the lack of time. Even with the law, some employers are just not on board. And so uh, the New Mexico Breastfeeding Task Force has a program to deal with employers who are not supporting the breastfeeding parent, but it can be scary to go up against an employer. Yeah. And so a lot of people choose not to do that. Yeah. Um, mastitis is a big challenge and it's a really serious challenge. I, I used to think it was just like a, like, oh, you know, one of the things that happens along the way, but I've had two clients end up in the ER with mastitis that rapidly progressed from, you know, some mild discomfort and, you know, redness, swelling to like systemic infection. <laughs> so wow. Don't mess with mastitis. That's my takeaway. Good to know. Yeah, it's really important. Um, then later on, babies teething and biting, big, big challenge. And that's something that everyone has to deal with in their own way. But some very, very mild and gentle aversive responses, like a little flick on the cheek when the baby bites. Like you really want this breastfeeding relationship to continue. And so that has got to stop. You Nobody can stand having their nipples bitten that's just agony they need support to get to they that. need support yes they need support and permission to 
communicate clearly to the baby that that is not going to happen. That's not going to work. Um, and uh, also later on, the toddler calisthenics on the boob. <laughs> That's oh, yes. Yeah, like, you know. There's tastics. <laughs> they're trying to like climb over your shoulder while they're nursing and twisting around and trying to look who's in the room and, you know, ow. So that's also a challenge. Uh huh. And that that's sort of a that's that's when you're coming down the home stretch, basically. Right. <laughs> a lot of people are like, okay, enough of this. Um, but it, it you can communicate that that's not going to work to your child, same way you can with biting. So that's another place where setting firm limits starts early. Um, and then time challenges on the nursing schedule either like in the morning, there's a rush to get the older kids to school and um, other parent is leaving for work and there's just not the relaxed time that unmorning nursing requires. Or same deal at night, um, some partners are very supportive, other partners are like, babe, I gotta be up in the morning, like you're on your own. <laughs> so there's there's scheduling issues that make it challenging and it's, it is possible to work it out. And it's, often uncomfortable for parents to reach outside the family circle to get support, but that does work. So you can get the support you need from somebody that's not in your home. Okay. It just takes reorienting your mind a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, and I really liked the way Anna put this. She said, um, you, the, the parent, the breastfeeding parent needs someone to hold the baby while the parent holds themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's true on so many levels, not just with nursing and weaning. And then, of course, weaning itself is is one of the big challenges because that's a whole chapter in its own. Yeah, which we're going to spend most of our time to, oh. today on. So, so as a home visitor, how do you prepare a family for the possible impacts of weaning? Because, you know, we, we don't talk about this that much. Yeah, it's it's really important to talk about it early on so you kind of have a sense of how long the parent wants to be breastfeeding, chest feeding. Because some parents are like, four years and more. And some parents are like, maybe a month. And you really should know that so that you know when to bring the topic up again. Um, and then you start planning for the weaning ahead of time because people don't usually know what's what it's going to entail. And they think, mm -hmm. all right, well, you know, just cold turkey it, we'll have mm -hmm. that again and it'll be fine. And, you know, that's really not the way to go because like everything in parenting, it's a negotiation with the baby and the child. And so you have to like come to some mutually agreeable compromise as you go, unless you're really willing to have a major rupture and a major repair. Wow, that are some powerful words, Beth. Thank <laughs> you. So, so what are some strategies then that you talk about with families to support that transition? Um, well, the first thing I want to say is that it's important to talk with the parent about the fact that it's not going to just be one and done. Like this is going to take a few tries till you figure out what's going to work for you and for the baby. So, um, Coming up with a realistic plan and knowing that you might need to go back to square one, restart breastfeeding in the former schedule, and then move forward in a different way 
and try a few things. So that's kind of the main overarching strategy. Cool. Um, we really uh, recommend avoiding sudden cold turkey weaning if you can. So decreasing the daily or nightly number of nursings slowly. Mm -hmm. And that really allows your mental, emotional, and physiological breastfeeding self to come into balance again without major disruption. Mm -hmm. um, and weaning is a dance between the parent and the child. So you have to avoid the mismatches and stepping on the toes and, you know, whirling around too fast. So when either the parent or the child wants to wean and the other one doesn't, that is going to cause major ruckus. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. because the parent is the one who's the adult in the room <laughs> you have to work uh to suggest to the parent that they might have to give up the nice neat plan that they had originally envisioned mm -hmm. and be willing to not know for a while what's going to work and that can be really hard it can be really hard it's hard for all of us not to yeah. know um uh, and then um, securing the involvement of the partner or another support person is really important to not go it alone if you can avoid it. I know there's single parents out there, but I'll work with single parents to figure out which friend or family member outside the home can pitch in in that critical way to help, help make it happen. Um, once the family is ready to wean, we pick the easiest nursing to skip first. And then uh, you can use cabbage leaves in your bra to reduce engorgement uh, if that happens. But hopefully cutting down slow is gonna make it easier for you and your boobs. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to explore the alternatives to nursing to soothe the baby. And the non-nursing caregiver will often have developed some of these strategies over the months and years because they didn't have those candy boobs that are magically um, solve, solve every problem. I know, that's hard. <laughs> and it's really hard for the breastfeeding parent to suddenly not have their magic wand anymore. Yeah, now we so have to think of other things. Yes, it's, it's not easy to let go of that. No, absolutely not. So strategies like cuddling, singing, stroking, walking, and movement can all fill in. And just being willing to be with the baby's big feelings. Yeah. That's the biggest one. Yeah. Just letting them cry and tell you how miserable they are about this and say, I know, honey, I'm sorry. No, it's hard for me, too. It's hard for me, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Deciding how to communicate the limit with the child that we're not nursing now. So the home visitor supports the mom's capacity to set and hold a firm, kind, non-negotiable limit. Once you've like committed, okay, this week we're going to try not doing the midnight nursing. You really need to hold to that mm -hmm. for yourself and for the baby. Because just like anything, if the baby cries and you give in, you're back to square one. And that's right. It might just be the way it goes, but you have to learn to trust yourself and trust the baby in the communication about the limit and, and trust yourself to be able to be with. And if, you know, you're really losing sleep, a week has gone by, nothing has improved and you're realizing like, okay, that's maybe not the one to try to cut out first. Uh -huh. And you go back to square one 
on purpose. You reinitiate that nursing and you try a different one. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then that's where, the, you know, scheduling the one to skip that you can get some help with. So if you have a partner or a friend who's willing to sleep over, then you can start with that midnight nursing if that's the one you really think is the critical one for you. So you can get a good night's sleep and not be a wreck in the morning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that way the baby starts to cry, the mom is totaled and the friend or ally can step in, take the baby while the breastfeeding parent walks away, takes a drink of water, rehydrates, breathes, gets grounded, you know, just breathing mindfully and calming down instead of getting triggered because you just don't want to end up fighting with the baby. No. We all have been there. Yes, absolutely. No fun for anyone. So finding somebody to tap in for you. Yes. For that week that you're trying out that particular nursing thing about, you want some support. Totally. And then for single moms who don't have that support person, making sure the baby is safe in the crib or pack and play, wherever. Or, you know, if the baby's not crawling it, just like down on the rug with some pillows and stepping away instead of getting mad. Yeah. It's really important to give yourself those breaks. Yeah. So working with a parent on identifying what are those strategies that you Yes, exactly. Those are the main ones. Those are the main strategies. Awesome. Thank you, Beth. Sure. And then, so why does post-weeding depression happen? Um, So I know, you know, hormones do play a role. So Mm -hmm. um, could you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Well, there's three levels that can affect or cause depression. So um, the parent's mental framework, uh, she has a new and changing identity as a mom and then as a nursing mom, and then maybe as not a nursing mom, it's a constant, constant struggle to keep up with where you're at mm-hmm. in terms of your identity and to feel solid and secure and confident in that identity. And every time there's a change, you have to, you know, renegotiate your relationship with yourself and your identity in relation to parenting and nursing. Wow. So, you know, the questions are like, who am I now that I'm not nursing? My role is changing. I don't know how to do this. I'm afraid to ask for help or that no one can help me. Like, mm-hmm. There's so many fears that come up mm-hmm. about all of these questions. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the parent's emotional life is hugely important and impacts the potential depression. So the thoughts can be my attachment to my child is changing. Will she not love me anymore? He doesn't need me. Will I still be a good mom? Mm. Um, Without the superpower of the boob, our confidence drops, like we were saying before. Like we used to rely on being kind of the benign, beneficent universe that Mm -hmm. the baby could rely on to always comfort. And now we don't have that. Yeah. And so now mom has to up her skills. Um, We also live in a culture that... um, casts the boob in a conflicting role. Is it a nurturing part of our body or is it a sexual part of our body? Mm-hmm. And our partners, if we have partners, can also be confused by those two things and not want to mix them or only want one side. And it's very confusing both for the mom and for the partner to figure all that stuff out. And that can affect nursing and weaning. So there's layered transitions in this yes. and identity yes. shifts. and Yes, lots yeah. of layers. Wow. 
And then finally, um, you mentioned the hormones. Her physiology has a big part to play in the weaning depression that can happen. And kind of just like mastitis, I've had a couple of clients who went downhill very fast, not even from like weaning period, like ending nursing, but just changing the schedule. I had a client go from being, you know, upbeat, happy, and, you know, engaged one week to suicidal the next week. Wow. And it was because she had cut down on her nursing. Oh, so this can happen fast. And I really want people to be aware of that. It's not something that might take a few weeks or months to show up. Wow. It might happen very fast. Um, so weaning and the lack of nipple stimulation causes a drop in the nursing related hormones, prolactin and oxytocin. So prolactin is the hormone that stimulates milk production and gets you to relax, get comfy and settle into nursing. Prolactin is also the hormone that prevents ovulation and is responsible for the pause in your periods while you're nursing sufficiently. And oxytocin is commonly known as the love hormone. It promotes bonding between the parent and the baby and gives a feeling of belonging, safety, and closeness. Oxytocin is the hormone that causes milk letdown and boosts prolactin. When these two hormones drop, the positive emotions they cause also drop. If they drop too suddenly, depression can happen. So that's what's going on with us when, when we encounter depression during nursing and weaning, is that all those three things are interacting in our minds, our bodies, our hearts. Wow. Yeah. Lots going on. Lots going on. Oh, and I really wanted to take this moment to mention another unrelated but sort of connected um, type of depression that can happen. It's a, a rare nursing-related syndrome called dysphoria milk ejection reflex. And it's a strong physical and emotional aversion to the milk letdown sensation, like really intense. And so I want to let people know that if their clients are experiencing something like that, there's not something wrong with them emotionally. It's not like a psychological thing. It's a real physical syndrome. Mm -hmm. And to let them know that it, you know. We just live in such a judgy culture about everything momming. Yeah. And, and there's so, a lot of pressure to do it and do it right. Yes. Yes. This, and, it, and we put pressure on ourselves right. to do it right. And to, so to experience displeasure at the sensation of milk letdown is so destabilizing for a mom's identity. And it's important to support her there. Yeah. And really conflicting from, you know, our mm -hmm. societal views of what breastfeeding should look like and be like and feel like. Yes. It's like, what is going on? So talking right. to your physician is numero uno that you have. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would say same for any kind of depression you're experiencing while you're weaning or, or cutting back on nursing. Yeah. But, you know, we tend to just judge ourselves very harshly and you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this right? Everyone else can do this. And instead of just saying like, wow, something's happening, I really should reach out and get some help and support mm -hmm. here because I would love to keep nursing and yeah, in a way that's working for both of us. And, you know, don't, don't be mean. <laughs> don't be mean to my friend, my client, you know? Mm, yeah. And so for families that you work with, like, do you feel like this is common knowledge when you're talking about how um, weaning can impact mental health or is this kind of new for most? Yeah, most people have no idea that this is an, yet another swamp they're about to go wandering off into. <laughs> and it's always good to know where there's a swamp. 
in your path. Totally. So yeah. let's talk. That's why we're here talking about this swamp. Exactly. Um, and we can throw some stepping stones in there. Exactly. Exactly. Just that awareness of what we're up against here. Um, and what would you say some of the signs and symptoms to look for are, um, you know, as a home visitor? As a oh, person? yeah. Um, irritability, lack of pleasure, mood swings, low self-esteem or low motivation, hopelessness, uh, emotional withdrawal, lethargy, or also overdoing it which is can be like a compensating kind of mm. tactic to try to get out of feeling lethargic, um, feeling sad and having crying fits and thoughts of self-harm or suicide. So seek help if you have any of these experiences with a client to like, do not let it drag on or see if it'll get better next time. Just really be the, be the adult in the room and have a take charge moment. Yes. And say, yeah, we really need to find you some support because you don't want this to go on any longer than it has to. This is, you know, just like postpartum depression, this kind of weaning depression is very amenable to intervention and can go away fast, but you don't want it to just be dragging on for any amount of time. Well, that's really good information. Thank you so much. And then, so sort of to to round things out what are some resources that you might share with the home visiting workforce oh, sure there's a lot of great resources out there um the websites of the new mexico breastfeeding task force and the la leche league are just full of resources the la leche league uh website in particular has just like this a to z resource guide of anything you could think of relating to breastfeeding very, very handy. And um, the New Mexico Breastfeeding Task Force also has tons of great resources. And you can call and talk to them and they will find you the resources that you need. They're wonderful. Wow. That is yeah. so good to know. Yeah. They're know. so committed. Their, their mission on earth is to support the breastfeeding mom or parent. And they will go the distance for you. Amazing. Um, WIC is a great resource. Local lactation consultants are a great resource. Um, and if the client is experiencing um, thoughts of self-harm or suicide, the New Mexico Crisis Line is 24-7 staffed by professional counselors, um, 1-855-NM-CRISIS. That's 1-855-662-7474. Um, another wonderful resource that we have right at hand is the Mothers and Babies Curriculum that can really help alleviate depression and gives tools to the mom to choose the healthiest choices for herself. I really like that curriculum. Um, and then the client herself is the most important resource uh, for herself. When she treats herself kindly, she doesn't judge herself harshly and she reaches out for help and support to family, friends and providers. That is, the critical role of the mom is to take care of herself so she can be there for the for the baby. Well, thank you so much, Beth, for all your wisdom and much needed um, information for the home visiting workforce. Any last minute um, thoughts or takeaways from our time together? Um, no, I, I just think it's really 
so important and beautiful what home visitors do for families. Yeah. And even though I don't have like accolades and a big salary, I feel like home visitors are just like the salt of the earth in what they're doing. I feel like it's so important, especially now on earth, the way society is and the way humanity is presenting some very troubling aspects of ourselves that we can really prevent that from happening in the future every single day just by being with our our families yeah I totally agree we weren't wired to do this parenting thing alone and no. I think that that is exactly what um, we as home visitors get to do for families yeah. so again I want to thank you so much Beth you're for so being, welcome yeah for being here today yeah, and, and just sharing all your wisdom. Um, additionally, we have prepared um, tips and resources that will be sent out um, uh, to the home visiting listserv that will be in English and Spanish for families, actually, so that home visitors can provide um, some okay. tips. Oh, that's good to know. I'm glad. Yeah. And do you know? Well, no, that's all. Yeah, so if you have any additional questions regarding today's topic, please don't hesitate to reach out to your program manager, home visiting consultant, or ECECD manager monitor. We hope you'll join us for future podcasts host hosted by the UNM Center for Development and Disability Home Visiting Conversations and sponsored by the New Mexico Early Childhood Education and Care Department. Take care and be well. Thank you.